With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you targeted? Targeted? Yes. No, I said targeted. I, I am targeted because I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know yet. He had to go clean his kitchen. Uh, what? I That's dare right. you to keep that in the cold open and see what happens. <laughs> I am not responsible. I do not condone what Casey just said, for the record. Oh, I'm glad I've never had to deal with that. That's because you suck a tender one. I do! <laughs> that was a friction masturbation joke for those of you listening at home. Soft, sensual, I am next to the fire. Sensual. Warmly caressing your bottoms. Oh no. I'm so <laughs> glad I don't have to edit this <laughs> But God knows what Casey's going to let fly into. Don't want to make you guys all jealous, but uh, I'm a professional TV watcher now. Yeah, Nielsen sent me 10 bucks in the mail today to watch TV. They sent me that, they sent me that like three months ago and I never opened the package. Uh, it had 10 bucks cash in <laughs> Cash money, dog. I didn't even have to do anything? No. Didn't have to do jack shit. Oh, I they sent that after. I wish I could finish my PhD in three months. How long does it take? It's only like three letters. Ha. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Hammer and Rails podcast. Football season has started, and we are back. That's right, back again. You can tell a friend. We are back. With us tonight, we have first manning the ones and twos in the uh, city where the women have loose morals, Ann Arbor, is Juan. How are you doing, Juan? Doing okay. Guess living the dream? Not really. It's grad school. There's no dreams in grad school. No, you're not in grad school. You're getting a PhD. (laughs) My soul is dead. It sounds better. Yeah. That would be... Andrew Ledman joining us from our nation's capital, soon to be Esquire. Andrew Ledman, how you doing? I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm good. And then also recording tonight as a backup because uh, he is the Padawan learner to Juan's recording. I'm the first he, one. He's yeah, well, he's pouring the drinks. Our our resident bartender, Casey. No, 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 no. I am the one that you can trust. <laughs> oh, no. Well, thanks for joining us on the last episode of the. <laughs> yes. No more work. So, uh, as I mentioned here at the top of the podcast, we're going to talk some football because for the first time in God knows how long, we actually have hope with a football program, and I don't mean Danny. The Jeff Brom era got off to a surprisingly good start Saturday night with a very narrow loss to Louisville in a game where Purdue was actually leading with 10 minutes to go. Moral victory! It can be claimed as a moral victory, but in reality, I, I think it was a very good start, and uh, that's what makes tomorrow night very interesting, as Purdue will be hosting Ohio. So what were some of your thoughts from the opener, guys? I couldn't believe we were in the ball game, like, at all. And I know that sounds depressing, and that sounds like, oh, you didn't believe in the team. But let's be honest. If you really thought Purdue was going to hang with Louisville, you were not being honest with yourself. Because... Purdue was outmatched on just on paper at nearly every position on the field. That's not me dumping on the players or anything else. It's just someone else is better than you. It happens to almost all of us. You know where they're so not fact better. That, <laughs> the, fact we were, the fact that we were competing in that game says so much more, I think, about the coaching staff and about the way they motivate those players and use the players to their strengths than it does anything else. And especially when you look at it, and, you know, I know that Purdue had a lot of good luck in there with the two fumbles inside the one, really should have been a third fumble inside the one, but, you know, Purdue also still had a bunch of mistakes with uh, three turnovers and a couple of uh, bad kickoffs and everything else, and yet, like you guys said, they were still in it. I can't remember the last time our defense came up with a stop, and we came up with two or three late that were just, honest to God, shocking. Mm -hmm. And it feels... Despite losing Neil early on and already having a defense that didn't have much depth, we played from first quarter to fourth. Uh, there were a couple of stops that stood out. It was um, early in the first half there. It was, I think it was in the uh, second quarter. We held him to a field goal inside the 10-yard line. And that was a play where it looked like Lamar was just going to get out and do Lamar Jackson things. Uh, and then there was the one at the end of the game where we also held him to a field goal that pushed the lead to seven and kept us within within striking distance. And, you know, i got to say from being in the stadium and everything, much of the day or much of Louisville's offense that they had success with, it was just pretty much the, okay, well, we're going to let Lamar Jackson do Lamar Jackson things. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to take away a player like that because he's just that good. But I was very pleased that Purdue was able to take away a lot of the other stuff that they could have done, if that makes sense. The best team we're going to play for a little while and – we were all expecting a year to where we'd have a couple games against the bad teams where we'd look okay, and then 
now that we've actually stayed on the field and look like a competent team throughout, every game's on the board now. The bowl game is in play. If we come up with uh, some big plays in games where we don't have the mismatch of going against a Heisman Trophy winner, you know, we might pull a game or two out that no one expected us to. And pretty much one game turned around every fan's perception of the team and changed what we can hope for going forward. Exactly. And I I think that's what makes tomorrow night so important because you don't want to see that step back that the Hazel teams always had when they were, you know, quote unquote, that close to breaking through. And, you know, the ingrained Purdue fan in me still sees that happening is the, okay, I'm bracing myself for the inevitable 35-17 loss at home to a MAC team. Casey brings up an interesting point. For me, my expectation coming into the season was, at best, best, this team would be 4-8. and eight. I don't know, this obviously this changes my expectations, but I don't know what that does to my overall view of how to judge a successful season at this point. Does that change anybody else's opinion on what we have to look for for this year? I don't think it changes a ton because... It's still we are left with the stink of Hazel and disappointing recruiting classes and a team that just doesn't have the depth or the experience lined up to make a truly successful run when it comes to win and losses. It kind of just feels like you walked into a casino in the first slot machine. You you hit enough to cover what you were going to bet for the rest of the night. So you're just playing on house money at this point. I don't think you can realistically expect this team to... If we get injured in a couple places, if we just get tired, if a couple things don't go our way that went our way this game, the score is going to be a lot uglier. But the fact is we saw a coach that has a team so much more prepared than we've seen in a long time. They just looked competent the offense had space it had movement it had open receivers it had smartly designed and well called plays everything and we still changed. Didn't even run the ball that much either right. i mean it was still one dimensional chucking the ball all over the field which could be good and bad everything's changed except the one thing that can only change through time and that's having the players that brom can bring in to fit to maximize the system he has yeah i think Purdue can Hold serve tomorrow night, which I'm I'm thinking they will. I think they'll beat Ohio tomorrow night. It makes the the Missouri game that much more interesting next week, especially with uh, as many points as they were able to put up last week against Missouri State. So uh, let's move ahead a little bit to tomorrow night against Ohio. Uh, What what type of team are you guys expecting to see in the uh, first home game, the night game? That's right. The campaign to get the lights is complete we yeah it's it's gonna be a good one a friday night showcase in front of the nation how many and this is maybe just me being ignorant how many games from college football are there tomorrow well no there's about five i think when i did the schedule but we're the only big 10 team playing tomorrow night Okay. Yeah, I think I think the only ranked team is uh, Oklahoma State has a strange game at like South Alabama or something. So I mean, I think it gives us a good chance for national exposure. Sure, we're on what FS1, which is you know not great. That's not the first first uh, station you probably choose, but it it's one of a handful of games. A lot of people will be watching because people watch football. They'll watch any game that's on. So if we can go out and show we're not the Purdue that people think we are. And, you know, take it to a, a Mac school. Granted, Ohio is a good team. You know, they, they won the Mac last year. So we, we have a real opportunity to show that we're not who people think we are. 
and that we can begin to dig ourselves out of the giant PR hole uh, we've built over the last few seasons. Yeah, and I, and I think it's also big that um, I saw where they're expecting a crowd of about 40,000 tomorrow, which, you know, <laughs> 40,000 people. Ooh. Yeah. Up, Michigan man. I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher. Uh, I, that would be nice, because our, our largest crowd last year was 41,000. Right, and we had six games above 40,000 since 2014. I just think, I think they're offering, what, $5 tickets? Yeah, and and they said they've sold over 11,000 student tickets, and those are going for five bucks. I think there's going to be a lot of buzz, the fact that we showed up well, but also just, you know, the first Friday night game, there should be a lot of electricity, people get out of classes. It makes a lot more sense to, like, you know, start drinking at 5 o'clock and go to a game at 7. I just think the atmosphere is going to be fun, as lo- and I hope we win just so, like, that'll carry over into the season, because there's already been a bunch of momentum just and from the- one game. And I think it's, we're going to have 40,000, but it's probably going to be 40,000 excited people versus mm-hmm. 40,000 at a noon game against Indiana State where everyone's just like, no, oh, we're just here because, oh, sure, why not? So it's <laughs> going to be a different atmosphere, I think. Yeah, when's the last time a football game felt like an event? Oh, maybe the Notre Dame game in 2013. <laughs> maybe. Wow. The second half against Nebraska in 2015. <laughs> Well, I th- that was never so- forget that Purdue <laughs> beat Nebraska 55-45. That was a weird game. Yeah, it was. It was amazing to attend, though. It, it, it was a weird game in that we were up 42 to 16 entering the fourth quarter. Which we still almost blew it. <laughs> that, that's not the surprising part. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the only win that Daryl Hazel had in Big Ten play at home. Thank you, Illinois. Thank you for making us feel a little bit better. Anyway, enough of that garbage. (laughs) So uh, you mentioned that, Ledman, that uh, four and eight was kind of your, you know, best case scenario. Would you guys say a bowl game is on the table now, even if it's just returning to Detroit? I'd say have to go at least two and one in this stretch here. I mean, one the one loss being against Louisville, but if they can beat Ohio and Missouri, I think a bowl, bowl game talk is possible because at that point, the Rutgers and Illinois games almost become must-win game or should-win games at this point. And then, you know, maybe Purdue can steal one from Northwestern. They didn't look too great against Nevada. I mean, granted, Northwestern always starts the year kind of iffy. And then they might be able to steal one. Because um, if they beat... So, if I mean, if they beat Ohio, Missouri, Rutgers, Illinois, and Northwestern, that puts the sixth possible game against IU. And I don't know. I think it'd be pretty sweet to get the sixth win against Indiana like they've been doing to us the last three years. And the same year and get the bucket back. the Big Ten against IU oh yes that, that would be wonderful especially since you know going six and six and winning the bucket is you know the pinnacle of football achievement if you listen to some of their fans but. yeah uh, <laughs> I, I just want to stop for a minute and point out I'm pretty sure Juan just said two states names incorrectly <laughs> Wait, which ones did I say wrong I'm pretty sure you said Illinois but you didn't use it in like a possessive way damn it and and no, you they're said, not a real state anyway. And you said Nevada. Did I? No, I meant, so Northwestern played Nevada. Yeah. And so I was saying that Northwestern didn't look that great against Nevada. So maybe I just stumbled upon my words. That's what I meant to say. I use the best words, okay? The biggest <laughs> words. Sad. You're wrong, no. Ledman. You're wrong. You lost. <laughs> Deal with it. I still don't know that a bowl game is possible. 
I mean, obviously, I, I shouldn't say possible. I'll take the Kevin Garnett approach and say anything is possible. We're still 0-1. and one. You know, one game into the season, we're exactly at the record all of us thought we would be. In that sense, it doesn't really change. But do I think it's more likely than I did, you know, a week ago? Yeah. But it's still, I think, a very small likelihood. I liked one of the things that I saw this past week where it was uh, Purdue's defense is playing about as reckless as possible. And that's going to lead to an upset of somebody, but they're also going to get boat raced by somebody. So they were like, congratulations on beating Wisconsin in Madison, but you're also going to lose to Illinois 45 to three. I will take I that. Don't agree we that haven't we beaten Wisconsin since 2003. I will gladly take the Wisconsin win if that means we lose to Illinois again for some ungodly reason. I'll take it. No, but I, Illinois, I Illinois, thought we were super disciplined on the defensive line against Louisville, considering how athletic, considering how athletic Jackson is. We I kept think, him in the pocket and well contained without giving up lanes much better than I thought we would. But he still converted a lot of third and long. He's a Heisman winner. He won the Heisman. I mean, we can't. He stop. was going to. We have expectations now, guys. <laughs> I know it's weird. <laughs> I mean, and that's the key thing. You said a lot. He didn't convert all third downs. This is improvement. The, the front line looked good. There's it, it a secondary that I think still looked iffy where he was able to get a lot of passing yards there. And then I think once Neil was ejected for the uh, BS targeting call that I'll try not to complain about, that obviously hurt the defense too, um, I think, towards the end. Yeah, and like you guys said earlier, the defense was still making some key stops. I mean, it... it had uh, the bend but don't break mentality. And, you know, when you consider that they had, I think they had four touchdowns, was it? But one of them was a defensive touchdown, and the other was after three very questionable calls, the pass interference, the alleged targeting, and the fumble at the goal line. The pass interference was pass interference. Yeah, I, I thought... There wasn't the, anything questionable about it. Yeah, but, but the, the targeting, and then when they showed the replay on the screen. I thought for sure they were going to rule ball out of bounds, Purdue's ball at the 20, and they gave him the touchdown. I thought it was ridiculous. They didn't have the angle. It looked like a fumble to me. but Yeah, it looked like a for fumble. For some reason, but the... we still don't have the proper angle on those plays. Yeah. I don't know why. I was going to say. Why isn't there just a camera straight I... down the goal line? Yeah. How many years have we been doing instant replay in the NFL and in college football? How do we not have a pylon cam? Because it wasn't an ESPN game. And ESPN is the one who has the pylon cam. My I God, think. Fox Sports One has the budget for one more guy to stand I know. there. With a I agree. Those pylon cams should be a standard across a the guy. entire NCAA. It shouldn't depend on who's covering the game. That should be a standard. Yeah, let's fight the NCAA. <laughs> I agree. Hard. Let's, and let's fight those refs. I really had to hold myself from making the four-hour drive to Indy to fight those refs after that drive. <laughs> Well, you could have just you sent me a message. I could have dove down from the upper deck. You have a kid, okay? He wasn't with me. <laughs> I can finish my PhD in jail. Wow. That's, is Maybe. That, I don't know. Is that a statement like... against prison systems? <laughs> or, or for prison systems, but against the educational system? I'm unclear. I already almost got arrested in a Louisville game once before. I don't need to do that again. So Okay, let's pull ourselves that. out of this jail tailspin. Yeah, <laughs> okay, let's, 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 talk, let's talk about something else. And uh, 
let's move on to some Purdue basketball. I know it's still early September, but uh, we've already seen eight games, really 11 games if you count the three exhibitions and all that, and Purdue goes 10-1 and one against the world, comes home with a silver medal uh, from the World University Games. Uh, Casey, I know you watched more, most of the games since uh, you're up at night as a bartender. Uh, how's no, look- I'm not naturally up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> I had to set a goddamn alarm and go to bed early, throwing off my entire life for like a week <laughs> to watch some illegally streamed Mandarin broadcasted three quarters of a game. Anyway. I am so... F*** CBS. <laughs> f- them. Burn them to the ground. I hope that B stands for burn to the ground. It, it stands for broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway Look, yeah nah. what did you think of the team and what you saw um do you think a silver medal was about the appropriate result or is it kind of disappointing <laughs> didn't take home gold or what uh, america travis silver is never appropriate <laughs> well, excuse me jesus participation trophy <laughs> no not a um First of all, it can't be overstated how awesome it was to watch the team I love, the team we all love, the school we all love, represent the country we all live and love. And, like, there's just something about that combination was, like, once in a lifetime. Like, I never would have, in my wildest dreams, thought those two things would go together. And it was great. As far as how we performed, we came really close. And that tournament is just brutal. We played eight games in ten days. I don't know how familiar people are and just like how painful it is to play back there's a reason we space out basketball games between two three four days your joints do not respond well after playing that much after that much travel and everything so by that gold medal game it's just a matter of who's toughest and who's in the best condition shape and all of that and weird things will happen well part of it too was i mean they were using fiba rules and i mean granted they had been practicing throughout most of the summer but really they had only been competing with those different rules since about the august and since about beginning of august then i mean there's some a lot of similarities but there's still enough differences that i think you know could have thrown off the team at some points, like I think goaltending is allowed in FIBA rules or something you along the lines. A, you can knock a ball off the rim. Right. And so I know Foreman complained about that because there are apparently quite a few points that Purdue could have scored had it not been for that rule. So there was definitely some adjustment there that Purdue really adjusted to. Um, and I mean, granted, it still took its toll, but uh, yeah. the biggest rule difference. Robbie Hummel talked about it when he moved over to play international ball is you're not allowed that that first step when you catch a ball to go it's a travel and there's a lot of times where you know I mean that's just habit that's how you get by someone being quick and when you change the international you're not allowed to take that step before dribbling that that alone kind of gets in your head and you have to change everything the way you play see I didn't know that and then again I'm not that athletic when it comes to uh, taking that first step I've lost my first step a long time ago so that implies that you had a first step oh I always had a first step <laughs> it was the only step see Towards I, mediocrity, perhaps, but ouch. I can only talk trash to Travis in this because I'm terrible at basketball. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, so am I. I was a professional bench warmer in the eighth grade. Well, there you go. I, I think Casey actually plays basketball, so I'll cut him some slack, and I'm sure he could take me down. So I'm kind of a stud. They call uh, me Fat Curry. I, I don't think anyone calls you that. That's <laughs> not true. <laughs> it's my nickname. I don't think you calling yourself that counts. I yelled it loud enough that people started to say it back. Okay, that's fair. 
So I, I don't think that there's a lot of shame really in losing to a team like Lithuania because you know they they, really don't, they were they're really good. They had a lot of height. Um, I know there was the age factor where some of these teams have you know much older players than we do. And then uh, I know that Gaben guy um, for Lithuania, he played for Notre Dame last season. He'll be a senior there this year. And you know Purdue even had some familiarity with him because he had nine point six rebounds, three assists when we played him in the crossroads. So. You know, this was like playing an NCAA tournament level team and you can, you know, there's the concern that they were obviously the best team we played and we didn't win. But like you guys said, it was the third game in three days, the eighth game in 10 days. And team really did look gassed in that fourth quarter. Yeah, well, also we didn't we didn't have harms throughout the uh, entire tournament because he wasn't a U.S. citizen. So this technically wasn't even the complete team. But we, I think we still saw a lot. And, you know, I, I kind of want to get you guys' impression on we, – we have a very clear top five and a pretty clear top seven or eight with uh, Taylor and Klein coming off the bench. But, uh, you know, I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't see some more from the freshmen and especially Eden Ewing because it's like, okay, Ewing is supposed to be a guy that, as a JUCO, is coming in to play immediately. He's supposed to be ready and he had a really quiet tournament. Right. Painter has always had his guys he trusted and doesn't trust. It's pretty clear that there are eight people that he's willing to play right now that are solidly in his rotation. And then the two X factors are Ewing and Wheeler. And they're both kind of, in theory, vying for the same spot as a hybrid wing big man. Both of them didn't look ready. Neither of them really have a jump shot. Really, neither of them have a position. They're not They're not skilled enough to be a three, and they're not really big enough to play the four on defense without fouling. The nice thing is they got some game competition to see that and to see see where they can improve but both of them are you know they're future projects because painters rarely going to go over an eight-man rotation and our eight men are solid we saw the biggest thing from the tournament is that everyone improved vincent edwards's shot making has nearly tripled and he was taking shots and hitting shots that i've never seen him even take before and he was knocking them down with confidence that was Vince, not vincent vincent's the evil twin that sucks at basketball look if you want to go against his mother's wishes you can i'm gonna call him vincent I'm going to call him Vince because every time we call him Vince, he sucked. You can, like, tweet his mom. <laughs> tweet her. Tell her that. She knows my stance on this. I know she reads this. Wow. I want Vince. <laughs> mom trumps Travis, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> But PJ was really good in some games. His jump shot's quick. He's confident. He knows how to play. Klein looks way better. His his ball control is improved. He was running the offense at points. Carson's jump shot, like I wrote earlier, um, he's worked on it all summer, and it's so much better. Last year, you know, he, he took – the shots weren't super different. Like, he's still taking a ton of pull-ups, but now he's hitting them. And when he's hitting them, he's able to go off for 30-plus points. And to have a player like that, Purdue hasn't had one since each one, and that's huge. Is he the next red button? You are so obsessed with this red button stuff. Each one was hit the red button for offense. You need a basket, you get him the damn ball. And we haven't yeah. had that in a while. I mean, he is, but Vincent is too. That's kind of the thing, because Vincent's improved on that area of the ball. Just his mid-range game with step backs and spin moves and weird floaters. Like, now I think I think we have two of them. I think I Vincent it. and Carson are both capable of making their own shot. Carson alone, just in, like, pull-up threes, he's going to get nine points a game. 
It's crazy. I was very impressed with Carson, and I think that he probably has had the best summer of everybody, mostly under the, you know, that experience not only at the World University Games, but with uh, with Team USA when he went to Cairo. And uh, I, I think the only concern that I would have with Carson there is, is I'm hoping he didn't wear himself out, you know, and play too much this summer, if that makes sense. 19, 20-year-old kids can't play too much basketball. Not when you're playing. I mean, it's not like you. They were going to be playing regardless, whether it be pickup, this, whatever. You cannot translate the experience he's had this summer. He's probably aged a year in gameplay. Just knowledge-wise, he'll be fine. I think they played, what, seven or eight in Cairo? So, yeah, eight, eight games. So that's 19. Or, oh, yeah, I don't know how many there. Some. You know, where does Harms fit in with this then? You know, I, I, yeah, and that, that's kind of what I'm thinking here is like everyone's like, oh, well, we'll get Harms. And I'm like, you know, I don't think that he's like an instant impact going to, you know, instantly come in and give you 15 minutes and 10 points and five rebounds a game. It's the he's he's a project two star center as much as the kid, you know, he, sure, it's been a benefit that he's been able to practice with the team and whatnot and that he was able to get there and go through the second semester last year. But I don't think he's going to turn into this instant end all be all sub or anything. He's a tall guy that could be insurance if Jaquil Taylor gets in foul trouble really quick. Or unfortunately, if Jaquil gets hurt again. That, we don't say those words. No, because I'm I'm driving the Jaquil bandwagon. Jaquil's going to have a breakout season. I believe in the man. Well, I mean, in fairness, it's hard for him not to have a breakout season when he's hardly played in the last two. Well, as long as we as long as we're playing Rutgers, he's just fantastic. Right. Hey, no, go ahead. I, I thought we were going to debate Sindelar versus Blau. Oh well, we we can do that right now as uh, kind of our final point of the evening as we start to wind down. Only reason I'm here. Okay, there we go. Uh, I guess we'll have we'll give you the floor here. We have a quarterback. Someone didn't. Some, someone didn't wake up to watch the Purdue games this summer. <laughs> well, uh, he's an no. East Coast I watched. I watched like one and a half of those, and I was like, I never knew when it was live or not live. <laughs> you know, because it's like, hey, this game is on at eight thirty on a Saturday, and I'm like, great. And then I'm like, I'm pretty sure I already knew this game ended in by like fifty. Of uh, that, that, and most of the games were okay. We're beating some nation by fifty Stonia. points. Yeah, so I was like, uh, I'm gonna watch it anyway because I don't really know how it's gonna end. So I'll watch it. So I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's it's football season. I know we all love basketball, but I think people actually want to hear about football, which is rare, and we should take advantage of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, we do have a quarterback controversy. We have Elijah Sindelar versus David Blau. And for now, Jeff Brom seems pretty intent on playing both of them to kind of feel it out. But I I like that Brom is kind of the anti-hope in this and that he wants to find one guy that will be, quote, unquote, the man. So uh, I guess you have the floor here, Lemon. Uh, Just kind of give us your breakdown of Sindelar versus Blau. So... The reason we're talking about this is we have a group chat, goes back and forth, talks about just the most ridiculous things in the entire world. Uh, I just hope to God that never gets published by anyone. Uh, all of us would probably lose our jobs. but I might get a raise. <laughs> well, you you work in a different area. Than so, I mean, and basically the... The question came up today is, who who would you choose to play? I mean, if you're the coach and you're going to choose your starter, the guy you're going to ride through the game, 
are you going to pick Blau or are you going to pick Sindelar? And I think Drew and I were the only two that said Sindelar, and the rest of you said Blau. So I don't know if you all want to go first since I'm alone here, uh, and we'll kind of just see what happens. Well, I'll, I'll go. I'll go ahead and go. You know, I, I liked what Sindelar did. I was he was a pretty slow starter on Saturday night, but I know that part of that was it was his first extensive like real game action, and uh, he had he had some good throws and did well for the most part but I think I think Blau was just a little bit more consistent and I think that that experience is important not that you know I mean Sindelar is eventually going to have to get some experience um so that's why I'm not too hung up on both of them playing right now but I could see Brom just picking one guy by the time we get to the Big Ten season and to, to me Blau was you know, he was a little more efficient. Um, I know he had the two interceptions and they weren't the prettiest, but he was he was trying to make something happen. He had no running game working for him. He was able to do a little bit more with his feet. And, you know, I just I think that Blau with that leadership and that experience is just I think he's the better choice right now. But it wasn't a terrible, terrible idea to give Sindelar some uh, real important game reps. And I felt like he responded well for, you know, kind of his first extensive action because he saw like some mop up duty last year and still had three interceptions and didn't show a whole lot. So it was good to see him play and, you know, play better than we've seen. But to me, Blau is just the more consistent guy. Yeah. And I. I don't think I can really argue against that point uh, because, I mean, we granted this season, you know, it's a whole new season. We've only got one game to go off of. Uh, Blau was 18 of 26 for 175, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Sindelar was 15 for 31, so threw five more passes but completed three less uh, for one eight, 118 yards, two touchdowns against just one interception. Um, so they each accounted for... 14 of our 28 points, you know, there's, when you look at it, it doesn't look like there's a gigantic difference between the two of them. Uh, but the point I think both Drew and myself were trying to make is, you know, Blau's been doing this for three years and has he improved? Of course he's improved and maybe he'll improve more under Brom and maybe he'll quit making these mistakes, but he's made the same mistakes for three years. He he makes the back breaking interception constantly. And and I know people are going to point out that he's been asked to do a lot. He's been asked to throw the ball all over the field because, quite frankly, we have nothing else on offense at times. And again, that's fair. But you would think with the number of throws, he would learn to make those mistakes less frequently because the the interceptions that he throws are, are just so bad. I mean, it's not like, oh, it was tipped. And, you know, after that, it's up for grabs. It's he's thrown almost directly to the other team with half of his half of his interceptions. And when a guy's been doing that for three years, at what point do you say this is just who he is? We can either, you know, work around it and figure out how to game plan so that he doesn't have to make those difficult decisions, thus leading to interceptions. Or we can say, hey, we've got this other guy on the bench. He's younger. Um, you know, he's got a great zip on the ball, maybe we can move to him. Now, one final thing before I get yelled at by the three of you. <laughs> I know Purdue has had, you know, what is it, 10 years in a row? We've not had a the same opening day starter, 10 or 11? 10. Uh, uh, since 2008. Yeah. Okay. We've had a different quarterback different. take. I mean, you had Marv in 2010 and 2012, but you had Turbush in the middle. Yeah, yeah. 
but not no no consistency from year to year. So you of course you want some sort of consistency, but each year has to be viewed differently. I I don't believe someone should get the job just because they had the job last year. You have to go into it with a real competition. Um, and to me, if they can't make this choice. If it's so close, I would yield toward giving the younger guy more reps. I don't think it's that close. I think the ceiling with Blau is a lot higher than with Sindelar. Sindelar's floor isn't as low because of the lack of turnovers, but we still the have best our offense looked was with Blau at quarterback. When he first came in, the offense started whizzing. He knows where the ball goes. He knows where his receivers are. He's, he's capable of making every throw, plus he's athletic enough to get out avoid the rush, make plays downfield. And I think part of why his interceptions are so high, he throws a really good deep ball. We saw the deep ball that went right off of Phillip's shoulder pads because he didn't try to catch it with, like, hands. And if that if that pass falls, the numbers don't look the same at all. He's got a huge possible touchdown on his number line, a lot more yardage. And I think why he throws interceptions a lot is he does – throw into double coverage and he's also very accurate when he throws deep so he's throwing to his receiver it just happens there's two defenders there as well well but that, and i that, think blau was it was clear that blau was the number one choice i think because if he wasn't there was no way he would have been representing the team at the media days even giving the lunch and talk he wouldn't have been named the co-captain it was you know Sindelar started coming up into this mix once he injured his shoulder just a few weeks before practice um and i at the same time too i think there's still he's still there's still some adjustment going on when it comes to learning Brahms offense. It's not something he's going he's gonna to learn over the spring and summer practices. Like he's going to improve, I think throughout this year, if we give Blau the chance, like the number of interceptions are going to be cut down. Um, I mean, he just, after that second interception, I agreed with putting Sindelar in. He needed at least a breather to calm down because, you know, at that, that was just a really bad pass that I have to admit um, for a second interception. Um, so I think, Having Sindelar come in, you know, just when the offense is starting to sputter out a little bit uh, can be a good mix. But I think Blau is the way to go. Um, and I think he can definitely improve this year. Yeah, I mean, of, of course he can improve. But to go back to what Casey said, saying that he throws into double coverage and Lilins to and it, you know, gets intercepted. Doesn't that talk about his decision making? Absolutely. There, there are faults. Like, it's not a perfect choice by any means. But I don't think Sindelar was like exceptionally good at making decisions. His, the offense floundered a lot when he was in there. That touchdown pass, I mean, that was thrown to double coverage and tipped, and Anthrop just made a hell of a play on it. Well, it still had to go through the double coverage, though. I mean, he, he threaded a needle. It's like Right, but threading know. a needle is not a sound decision for the most part. True. Like, that was a pretty lucky touchdown. And I, I think the other thing that we have to consider with Blau is he's on his third offensive coordinator in three years, too. I mean, the guy had to be de-shooped last year. And then, you know, you, you have him running the Malone offense, which, you know, was arguably better. But then if you look at the the stats for the year, really wasn't that much better. And now it's like this is his first time in his fourth year in the program where he has like an actual competent offensive staff with a real plan in place. So I can understand why there would still be some uh, issues with development and with his uh, – with his decision-making and whatnot. He's, he's not used to having somebody like, oh, hey, this is the right thing to do. I'm actually in favor of the competition this year. I think they both 
have enough strengths that they can be successful at times. And I think they'll push each other. It's weird because with Blau in there, you know, receivers were catching passes. The ball was going deep. With Sindelar, he was finding his tight ends. I think there's a happy balance to find there. And this year, we're not we're not going for a Big Ten title. We're literally we're looking towards the future. And that future starts next year. Who's going to be our quarterback next year? Right. I think, I think both of them need time pretty evenly through the year and set ourselves up for next year. And and even if Blau is the guy next year, you have you then have Sindelar as a quality backup to to uh, end up starting in 2019 possibly in what would be his final year. And then by then you have you have a, a Brom national with, championship. Oh, well, yes, naturally. But you have a, you would have Brom with his guys uh, finally in there. You know, he's got a full comp, he's got a full amount of time to work on Sipe. And then um, what's the new kid coming? Jack Plummer, something like that from Arizona. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these guys develop that are coming in as true freshmen under Brom with the way that he's been able to develop quarterbacks. Ledman, let me ask you, is it more, do you want Sindelar over Blau more because of what Blau did or because of what Sindelar did? I, I don't think it's either. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, to go back, like I said, what, what Drew, uh, the, the point Drew was making and that I agreed with is that Blau You're has- quoting the biggest deviant we all know. Oh, well, you know, even a blind uh, squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. I don't think that's apropos here. I think that's perfectly apropos. Uh, you know, Blau has been making these same mistakes for three years. The same types of throws, the same throws into these these double coverage, triple coverage, where he's just not reading the defense. Or the alternative is he thinks he can make it regardless, which, I mean, I'm not sure that it matters, but both of those are, are very bad things, you know? Sindelar, of course, he didn't look perfect. He's young. He's nervous, but, you know, he was putting the ball where it needed to be on a lot of those throws. And both of their stats, honestly, would look better if our receivers could catch the ball. Um, I Can think- we talk about how bad he looked in the two-minute drill? Did you have any faith Sindelar was moving the offense down the field? Yo, you mean at the end of the game? Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. We had like a minute and a half. Like, there was plenty of time to get close. Mm-hmm. But- I, I also don't know how much of that was play calling versus how much of that was him being scared and looking for a dump off, not having situational awareness of how much time was left. That's not good for a quarterback. Yeah, you know what else isn't good for a quarterback? Throwing interceptions. That, that's a exactly six-yard six pass on like third or second down in a two-minute drill might as well be an interception. I'd that, rather have an interception 40 yards down the that's field. That's nonsense. It cost us like 40 seconds and any realistic chance of getting okay. into the end zone. Okay, you throw a six-yard pass, you still get another play. If you throw an interception, the game's over. The game was over as soon as he made that completion. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't actually, though. I, honestly, he would have been better off dropping that pass. Because, I mean, it was one one minute left, no timeouts. Like, And then the pass on the fourth down yeah. was nowhere cl- like. Yes. Had Cinderlar just waited like two more seconds to make that pass, the receiver would have had time to get into get the first down and get out of bounds. But look, okay, so I guess it all comes down to I'm not saying I'm going to be mad either way because I think Blau has a lot of talent. He's got a good arm, as Casey said. He's good at the deep ball. It's just a matter of he's got to cut down on the mistakes. And if, you know, next week, two weeks, three weeks down the line, Blau separates himself, I'm 100% behind the guy. 
I don't care who plays. You never said you were personally attacking him. No, I know. But, you know, the internet. You put this Even out. Even though you made a voodoo doll. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you, you start arguing one side against the other, and suddenly someone on the internet's going to think I, like, hate David Blau, and he, like, kicked my dog once or something. So, no, I mean, we know you don't. We know you don't hate him. Only Drew hates Blau. We all know that. <laughs> that is true. Drew does yes, hate He's Blau. not here to defend himself. So, yes, we can just go ahead and leave that in. Um, but, I mean, whoever Braum decides is going to be the better player is who I want to play because <laughs> we're just four yahoos on a podcast. Jeff Braum is being paid. Do not dismiss everything we're doing right now. I no. By that definition, no one should be listening. Well, I mean, really, should they? Yes. <laughs> T-shirt money, Ledman. Yes, we want the sponsorships. Yeah, yeah but I'm saying, we... I'm saying, he's the one who's got to make the decision. He's the one who I want to make the decision. Sure, but that is such... No, you can't go... We can't talk for an hour, and then you'd be like, well, whatever the coaches do. Whee. No, I'm saying... I see them for one game during, uh, you know, during a week for, you know, three hours or so. They see them every single practice. I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I don't get a review film of them each and every practice. You don't? <laughs> no. You're not on the email list? No. I didn't know you were. Yeah. What? You guys aren't there? <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time we should probably bring this uh, creaky plane in for a landing here. Uh Going on for about an hour or so, but it's been a good hour. It's been a good return to the podcast, and it's actually been fun to talk about some competent and exciting Purdue football for once. So We've had a no football talk ban for, like, what, eight the, months? The start of the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we play an entire, like, sad music little montage? So that was Drew discussion? just yapping about recruiting. I'm just like, this is boring. I'm going to put some music <laughs> in the background. It's boring and sad. <laughs> All right, so as we sign off, you don't have to say your score, but I want to hear who you think's going to win. Because yeah. if you want to see if you want to see their score guesses, you have to go to the lovely site hammerandrails.com. Oh, You're assuming that Casey has his podcast up in time. Oh, he will. Yeah. We have all of our predictions on the website tomorrow for your reading pleasure, probably hey. around lunchtime. Let's right. go around the horde here for some final thoughts. Juan, what are your final thoughts tonight? I think Ohio will open up with a lead, but I think Purdue will fight back and win the game tomorrow night. Excellent. How about you, Casey? Purdue dominance. It's going to be an event. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be angry that I'm not at the game all night, but I hope everyone enjoys it. Ledman, how about yourself? Uh, Purdue's going to lead from start to finish much Yeah. Much yeah. be drunk in the stands. Yeah. What now, Juan? As for me, um, I'm just hoping not for. I'm just hoping to avoid the letdown, as I said earlier. Um, Shut I, your whole mouth. I am. I am too long time of a Purdue fan. I'm fully prepared for the 35-17 five interception game, but. In reality, I think Purdue is going to win. Uh, I thought this was going to be a win even before we saw them against Louisville. It's going to be an interesting one. I think it'll be a bit, little bit closer than we expected, but uh, this this is a game Purdue needs to win, and I think it's one where Brom really starts to earn that paycheck where he has them avoiding the letdown and everything else. So I, I, I think we pull that off. And uh, as, as one final thought before we sign off tonight, I'm not sure where you guys are listening from, wherever you are out there. I know we've had... 
we only get like maybe a thousand, two thousand listens to this every time. But if you're listening in Florida to this during the hurricane, well, I'm hoping you guys are staying safe. Uh, you're getting through the storm down there. I know there's a lot of Purdue people in South Florida and Florida in general. And uh, th- this one's a monster, and it, it's got me scared. My mother-in-law lives in Miami. I've got a bunch of friends down there. One of my uh, one of my buddies from Purdue lives on Miami Beach and has already had to evacuate. So um, if you are listening or if you know somebody down there uh, in the storm, stay safe, stay dry, uh, do what you can to uh, take care of yourself and your family and friends. And uh, we're, we're thinking about you, and we're praying for you and to get through this. So... For uh, Ledman, for Juan, for Casey and myself, this is Female signing off from the Hammer.